that's where it began. I'm pretty sure that Adam and Eve had no problems getting along before she and Adam decided that, well, they knew better than God did, and uh, they did the only thing in paradise that was off limits. After that, well, they're just like us. When people compliment my wife and me on our lengthy marriage, (laughs) my wife usually comments that marriage takes a lot of work. Oh, and it does. (laughs) She's right. A healthy marriage does take effort and self-sacrifice. That's because of our sin natures. And God's statement in Genesis 3 to Eve that says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. You see, it's not about sex. It's about power. We'll see why that is today on Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve Kreloff is leading us through the Bible's account of the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Before God made that often misunderstood statement to Eve, he told the serpent that one of Eve's descendants would bruise him on the head, and the serpent's descendant would bruise Eve's descendant on the heel. And right there, we have the first prophecy in the Bible about the Messiah. So let's cover that before we move on to what God said to Eve. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. Now at the cross, Jesus delivered the death blow to Satan. And here's what it is. In symbolic language, he crushed the serpent's head by his death. But in the process, Jesus had to die. His heel was bruised and he died, but it wasn't fatal in the sense that it wasn't final because he rose again from the dead. He conquered death. It was like a heel bruise. Jesus, and and this is in the language of the Old Testament, he was bruised for our iniquities. That's what this is talking about. Jesus defeated Satan. Satan no longer has the power over you. He is a doomed creature. He is doomed. He simply awaits his execution. I know what you're thinking. He's doomed, right? He seems pretty powerful in my life. How did Jesus defeat him when I'm so defeated at times from temptation? Well, let me, let me explain. Because at times I'm defeated too, and I understand where you're coming from. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. Everybody needs to look there. It's in the back of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 2. And I told you that we'll, we'll get to this. And this kind of puts it in perspective, because Satan is defeated. You need to know this. This will affect your life. This will give you liberty. This will set you free. He is defeated. Yes, he moves about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour, but he is defeated. His defeating, defeated in the sense that his power over you is very, very limited. And really, he doesn't have power over you, not ultimate power. Notice Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since then, the writer says, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. That is, since we're flesh and blood, Jesus became flesh and blood. He became a real man. That through death, that is Christ's death on the cross, he, meaning Jesus, might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. On the cross, Jesus rendered powerless. He defeated the devil who had, at that point, the power of death. Verse 15, and and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Now, let me explain. Satan's only power actually comes from the fact of God's character. It's a very interesting thought. His power only comes from the fact that God's character demands that sin be punished. That's where Satan has his power, that God's power demands that sin be punished. Therefore, his goal, the devil's goal, was to get Adam and Eve to sin so that God's in God's wrath, 
Not only would they fall, but God would send Adam and Eve and all their children to hell because sin had to be punished eternally. It had to be punished. His goal was to keep and to send people to hell. That is Satan's ultimate goal. But what he failed to grasp, because Satan doesn't know everything. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And the Bible wasn't written at this point for him to read ahead. What he failed to grasp is this, that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, would come to earth and die on the cross to take the place of sinners and experience God's full wrath. He tasted hell for us so that those who trust him would never have to experience hell. And that is why Satan is a defeated enemy. His head has been crushed because divine forgiveness obtained at the cross renders him and his plan to send you to hell powerless. He can't do it. It can't happen. It can't happen because Jesus Christ has provided a way for you to be forgiven, and yet God's justice is still intact. Which means, according to Hebrews chapter 2, you never need fear death. Until I became a Christian, that was the fear that drove me to depression. There was no hope. The fear of death. What happens when you die? And many people, in fact, most people are in bondage to it. And anybody says, I don't want to talk about it. That just indicates they're in bondage to it. They're afraid of it. But now you don't need to fear death because one seed of the woman, Jesus, the Messiah, has defeated Satan by crushing his head at the cross. And in the process, he had his heel bruised, if you will, but it wasn't final and it wasn't fatal because he rose from the dead. So the serpent was sentenced, and praise God we don't have to fear death. I hope that liberates you. The serpent was sentenced to humiliation. Satan was sentenced to defeat by the seed of the woman. But what about the woman herself? She's not going to get away with this. The woman's sentence was twofold, as we look back at Genesis 3, twofold. Number one was increased pain in childbirth, and number two was a struggle with her husband. Verse 16 begins this way. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, prior to the fall, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. So it was always his plan that they would have children. But now after the fall, giving birth is going to be a painful ordeal for women. Every time a woman experiences labor pains, it serves as a reminder of Eve's part in the fall of mankind. And that's not difficult to understand. I mean, it may be horrible for them to experience, and I don't want to be, you know, glib about that, but I think this is rather self-evident, and I don't think we need to go into to clarifying that. But there's a second aspect of her punishment, and that's not as easy to understand. Verse 16 says, Yet your desire shall, uh, shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, this has been interpreted several different ways. The most common way to interpret is this, that a wife's sexual desires for her husband, even though this would result in uh, more pain in childbearing. And you know what? That, to one degree, fits the context. Yeah, she's going to have pain in, in giving birth, so why would she have more, but yet she's drawn to her husband? And there's a certain truth to that, but I don't think that's what Genesis 3 is talking about. And, and, I, and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> um, First of all, as I said before, generally in a husband and wife relationship, the husband's sexual drive is a lot stronger than the wife's. Secondly, this doesn't answer the question about what is ruling. He will rule over you. Have anything to do with this? It really doesn't. It really doesn't address this. Also, um, if she was now to desire her husband, 
That's no punishment. Okay, This is a punishment, folks. That's no punishment. She desired him before the fall because they were to multiply. So it's really not a punishment if she desires her husband sexually. That's no punishment. Others say that this desire has to do with a woman now submitting to her husband, and that's why it says he will rule over you. But you know what? I have a problem with that. Because before the fall, Eve willingly submitted to Adam's leadership. That, that's, that's nothing new about submission. Now, it wasn't emphasized, but uh, let me just tell you, it was, it was stated uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 18, God created Eve to be a helper to Adam. He was, has always been the leader. And notice verse 17. This is the problem. He abdicated being a leader. Then, then uh, to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. In other words, Adam, you were the leader. What did you let her lead for? So this wouldn't be talking about now he's going to be the leader as opposed to before. No, he was before. Let me tell you what I think fits the whole context and the meaning, the, the meaning of the Hebrew words here. You want to fit the context, but you also want to know what do these words mean. And uh, I, would, I would write this down for you because uh, uh, you may not hear this many times and you may not read this many times. The only other time that the Hebrew words desire and rule are together in a sentence or a context are found together very interestingly enough in the next chapter in Genesis. They are never used together. Now they're used different, uh, separately, but never used together apart from Genesis 3 and Genesis 4. So it's right in the immediate context. And whatever Moses meant in Genesis 4, he meant in Genesis 3. So let's see what he meant. And it's found in verse 7. God is speaking to Cain, and he says this, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If Cain, you do well, you obey, you'll be happy. And if you do not, if you do, not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it, or you must rule it. Those are the same Hebrew words as you find in Genesis 3.16. Desire and rule. It's just translated in my version, master, but it's the same Hebrew word and, and both Hebrew words here. God warns Cain about his anger towards his brother Abel. And he says, sin desires you in the sense that it wants to control you, Cain. It is crouching at the door like an animal ready to spring up on you. It wants to control you. It wants to possess you. It wants to, I guess the best word would just be control. But he says, you must master it, you must rule over it, don't let it control you. In other words, just as sin desired to overcome and control Cain, watch this. So women, because of the fall and sin now, will desire to control their husbands, but they will fail because man will rule over her. The concept of rule goes far beyond just leadership. Now the man, and, and this is generally true, I know there are exceptions to this, but now the man will, because of the pull of sin in his life, want to dominate his wife, want to master her, want to lord it over her. So what do you have here? The point of this is to say that with the fall of man came the battle of the sexes. That's where it began. That's where it began. Man has to fight to be the leader because he's got a wife now who desires to lead and control him, even the best of wives. Desire to lead and control him, just as Eve led Adam, and the result was sin. Now, you could translate verse 16 this way. Your desire, and this is for all women, not just Eve, your desire will be to control your husband, but he will dominate you. That is precisely, in my judgment, what these verses are talking about. 
And this is the reason, folks, why there are so many conflicts in marriage. This is the reason. A wife who won't submit, and oftentimes a husband who meets her lack of submission with domination, and you are bound to have conflicts. And and, and very interesting, because Eve sinned by trying to lead. Her punishment is that from now on, women will seek to control their husbands, and he will crush that domination. So what you have is the women's lib movement and male chauvinism meeting head on. That's, that's what this is about. Now, the question is this. Are we doomed then to have bad marriages? I mean, if this is the pull of sin, and this is the pull of sin in our lives, even the most godly of couples have this pull. Are we doomed for this ongoing conflict and, and to be defeated all the time? No. No, it just means that there's always going to be the pull of sin for a woman to not willingly submit to a husband and the pull of sin for a husband to dominate and not lead his wife in a sensitive manner. So what's the answer? Let me just say this. The the point he's saying is that submission isn't easy. It's not natural. It's just not natural. So what are we going to do? We do, we do, keep this in mind. It is not, the answer is not to abolish the biblical roles of a woman submitting and a husband leading. That's not the answer. That's what the world thinks, but that's not the answer. That's what some Christians have done. Just abolish this. That's not the answer. What you want to do is meet this problem head on with biblical thinking and change your attitudes. Obey the word of God. And for that, you must turn to Ephesians chapter 5 because Ephesians chapter 5 answers this ongoing problem. Ephesians chapter 5 deals with the relationship of a husband and his wife and compares it to the relationship of the church to Jesus Christ. Notice What is the foundation for all of this? And this is how to have a great marriage. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by wine. Wine can put you under its influence. Don't be controlled by it. Don't be possessed by it, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to be under the control and domination of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you get under his control? Well, you read the word of God and you obey it. This is the Spirit's voice. How would he control you? Not by some special super-duper experience. He controls us by if he tells you what to do and you obey him, you're under his control. That's simply what it means. But notice it goes on. Here's the evidence of being under his control. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. But it doesn't stop there. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. What this is saying is that when a, when a Christian woman is in submission to the Holy Spirit, she reads the word of God, she is obedient to the word of God, she will respond to her husband, not just as her husband, but she will submit to him as she submits to Jesus Christ. That's part of her submission. That's part of her submission. And yet the pull of sin is not to do this, so we counteract the pull of sin by being under the control of the Spirit of God. You can live in victory over this. In other words, the sting of the curse, not the pull of it, but the sting of the curse is gone when you submit, ladies, to the Spirit of God. But what about men? Because they're going to rule over women. Well, notice he goes on, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And watch this. He gave himself up for her. So men, you're not to dominate them. You are not to be dictators. You are not to be tyrants over them. You are not to snap your fingers and say, woman, walk behind me. 
That's found more in the Quran, not in the Bible. Here, you are to love her by sacrificing for her, by laying your life down. And that doesn't necessarily mean physical life. It's a lot harder to live for somebody oftentimes than to die for them. It is on a daily basis you are to sacrifice and and be a servant to her. And how do you do this, men? By being under the control of the Spirit of God. Any man who claims to know Christ, but he's a dictator and he's a boss, is an unspiritual, carnal man at best and may be lost at worst. So instead of the sinful thoughts of rebellion controlling her, a wife is to let God's indwelling spirit control her by thinking differently. She's to see submission to her husband as submission to Jesus Christ, and the husband is to be led by an attitude of seeing his wife as Christ sees the church, and he'll do anything for the church. He'll love her, he'll nurture her, he'll lead her in a proper way. Life in the spirit removes the sting of the curse. That is, folks, the key to a healthy marriage. A marriage is made up of two people. You get two people right with the Lord, you have a great marriage. Most of the books that are written, you don't have to read on on marriage. Just do what Ephesians 5 says, and you'll have a great marriage. So what was given to the woman by God as a, a twofold blessing to have children, what a wonderful blessing, and also to have a, a great marriage now is going to be different. Now, as a result of the fall, those two blessings involve pain and conflict. Now, as we wrap this up, let me just tell you, don't, don't close your minds to this, but let me just tell you, this is a passage of Scripture about sin. It deals with sin, and I think there's a great danger to only, though, seeing sin here and failing to miss God in, these passage, in this passage. It says a lot about sin, but I I want to draw your attention to the great truths about God. Number one, God's justice is very clear in this portion of Scripture. God is just. Each punishment is perfectly, uh, perfectly fits the crime. God is just. He will not let anyone get away with sin. He'll not let you get away with sin. He'll not let me get away with sin. He didn't let them get away with sin. And he does punish them in light of their crime. For example, the serpent exalted himself, so God humbled him. The devil defeated Eve in tempting her, so he's going to be defeated by Eve's seed, Jesus Christ. The woman led her husband into sin, so she would have ongoing struggles in gaining the upper hand in that marriage relationship. Now she's going to want to always lead, and he's going to try to crush it. Now, I I think that's a marvelous truth of God's justice. God is just. We, We often speak about his love and mercy, but he is just, and we need to keep that in mind. Secondly, this passage also does speak of God's love and great hope, because God didn't leave man in his sin. This is not a passage just about sin. In the midst of incredible judgment, there's that one statement, one seed will crush the serpent's head. The seed of Eve, Jesus Christ, triumphed over Satan. You know what hope we have? Do you realize the hope God gave to us? If you had never heard the gospel before, you would be shouting praise the Lord because this is the most incredible statement. You are not bound to experience God's wrath. Christ has provided a way for salvation. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ, don't let another day go by because If you don't trust him as your Lord and Savior and you die in your sins, you will go to hell. I guarantee that because the Bible says that. That's how serious sin is. But if you have trusted him, then two things you need to do. Thank him. Praise him for it. Praise him for what he did. It's not what you've done, it's what he did. 
has done. And secondly, tell others about it, because this is the only cure to the power that, that the devil had, and that is to send us to hell. Let's bow for prayer. As we're quiet before the Lord, you need, you need to think about, about this. You need to think in your own life. Have you, you been obedient to God? God hates sin. And sometimes we take it too lightly. God hates sin. He may love the sinner, but he hates sin. Is there some sin in your life that you need to deal with and you need to repent of, confess? Secondly, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to seriously think about coming to faith in him. And if you'd like to speak to somebody about him today, we're going to be having new members up here in just a few moments. I'm going to encourage you to go right, right by the organ. There'll be somebody there who will speak to you about your need for Christ. And the person counseling today knows that I just made that decision. Also, if you've had a very difficult marriage, what are you going to do about it? Now you know what the problem is. It's the pull of sin. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's you. You need to come under the spirit of God's control. Your marriage will only be as strong as your relationship with Christ. I'm going to give you a few moments, just a moment or two of silent meditation, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for such a wonderful portion of Scripture, how serious you are about sin, and yet in the midst of judgment comes hope and mercy and love about Jesus crushing the head of the serpent. Lord, how thankful we are that Satan is defeated he may work a lot in our lives, but he has no more power over us. He can't send us to hell. We have been set free because our sins have been paid for. I thank you, Lord, that one seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully man and yet fully God, died for our sins. And I pray for those who may not know you, that you would draw them to yourself, that before today is over, they would have a relationship with you and, be, and would be free from the fear of death because they would know their sins are forgiven. I pray for others who are struggling in a marriage relationship, that they would see this as the solution, that they would come under the Spirit's control and therefore not blame their spouse, but to deal with their own sinfulness. I pray for every wife here, that she would submit to her husband as unto Christ. I pray for every husband, that he would uh, treat and love his wife as Jesus treats and loves the church and nurtures the church and sacrifices for the church and gives for the church. So I pray for that. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God really does take sin seriously, so seriously that he gave his son because nothing else would pay for our sins. If you have questions about how to know for sure that you've been forgiven for your sins, call the phone number that I'll have for you in just a moment. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 if you have questions about salvation or if you'd like to receive a free audio CD with the sermon Pastor Steve just concluded. If so, ask for message 1611, The Curse of God, Part 1. And if you want to visit Lakeside some Sunday, I'm sure they'd be happy to give you the service times and directions over the phone as well. The phone number again is 727-441-1714. Or you can get details online at lakesidechapel.com. If God's been blessing you through these radio Bible classes and you'd like to help support Verse by Verse Ministries, we have a convenient giving page on our website, versebyverseradio.org. 
We wouldn't be here if not for generous listeners like you who help pay for the airtime and other expenses. So thank you for all your help. Also, we keep a large collection of previous broadcasts on the Message Archive page at the website. Please feel free to stream or download any of them that you'd like to hear. Our website again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson inviting you to listen next time as Pastor Steve Kreloff begins his concluding message in this series from Genesis 3. We'll begin to see how God dealt with Adam's sin. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Has your life been turned upside down? Beyond the White Picket Fence by Sherry Rose Shepherd is a lesson-filled love letter to anyone trapped in a pit of pain. Whether you are going through divorce, betrayal, abandonment, or disease, there is a way to come through it to 